If I haven't met you, my name is Tom. I have the privilege of pastoring the church with my wife, Ebony, and uh, we're new. We're all new. It's kind of cool. It's a fun season to be um, fun season to be kind of going at this together. We're a church plant, so it's like an infant, you know? And one of the things that we've been excited about as a church is we've been going through this series called Grace Alone, and we're going through the book of Galatians because the book of Galatians um, really is Paul uh, protecting and guarding the gospel of Jesus. It's not something that we add to. It's not something we move on from. It's, it's the foundation of the Christian life. And as a new church plant, we want the foundation of our church to be nothing other than the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God put on flesh, came and lived the life that we never could in our place, and then was punished on the cross because of his love for us to absorb our sin and justify us before God and reconcile that relationship forever. It's beautiful news. Um, so go ahead. I'm going to jump in quickly this morning or th- this evening because we're kind of running long, but it's okay. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. We are going to go through the first 15 verses of Galatians chapter 5. And uh, why you are, or while you are flipping there, um, I want to tell you a story. When I was uh, 16 or 17 years old, uh, I was a senior in high school, and I played water polo in high school. Is anybody familiar with water polo? Raise your hand. Okay, water polo is the gnarliest sport there is. I don't care what anybody tells you. Like, we were, I was buff, I was fit, there was like zero body fat, not that I'm, you know, I'm still a skinny guy, but like, I remember it was the most intense workouts I'd ever done was just playing that sport, Okay, and over summer, we would have like these tournaments, and I can remember one specific tournament where we had two games back to back over the summer, and if you, if you, are you familiar with water polo at all, it is exhausting. It is grueling. It is intense. Every game I ever played, I got punched in the face at least once. All I'm wearing is like underwear, essentially, and like a cap so that my ears don't get ripped off, but I loved playing water polo. And the reason I love playing water polo is like, I'm not the biggest guy, but I'm a, stronger, I'm a strong swimmer. So there would be guys that would be twice my size and I would get in the pool with them and I could hold my own and it made me feel like more manly and just kind of ridiculous, right? But I loved playing water polo. And there was this one summer where we had this, this tournament and we played two games back to back. So if you can imagine, I'm exhausted, okay? I am fried. I get home from the games, from the tournament and the first thing I do, I walk in, I'm living at home with my parents, I'm in high school, and I go into the living room and I just lay down on the couch and I pass out, okay? And I can remember my dad waking me up. Do you know where I'm going with this? Okay, I remember my dad waking me up and this is what he says to me. He says, hey, Tom, I want you to go uh, water, water the plants on the front porch. And I'm like, I'm really, I'm taking a nap. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll water the plants in like an hour. Like, let me finish my nap. No, no, Tom, I want you to go water the plants right now. No, Dad, I don't think you understood. I had two water polo games. I'm fried. Like, let me just, let me finish my nap. I, I really want to sleep. And then as soon as I'm done, I will go water these precious plants. And he goes, go do it now. And I'm like, you can imagine me. I'm like a teenager. I'm like raging hormonally, all this stuff. I hate living here. This is awful. I just wanted to take a nap. Like, fine, I'll go water these stupid plants. And I walk outside. I go across the driveway. I grab the stupid like water pail thing and I go over there and fill it up with a hose and as I'm filling it up with a hose I look over the driveway and I see a 1997 
white Ford Ranger. And I'm like, uh, that's, well, whose car is that? So I go and water the plants and I go and, uh, no, I, before I do that, Pop's already met me at the driveway and he's like, hope you like a truck, jerk. Like, <laughs> like, I totally ruined my parents trying to like surprise me with a generous gift, okay? My first car, I loved that car. Okay, it was, it was like, it was precious to me. The reason it was precious to me is because I thought, as most people do, when you get your first car, that's like freedom. You can go where you want, when you want, the whole thing, right? But it's interesting, because no matter what, I still had this like 17-year-old brain, okay? I was still kind of stupid and kind of like not really like thinking clearly, you know? <clears throat> but what was interesting was, I thought that the car was gonna bring me freedom. It brought me more choices, yes. And it was certainly a blessing, but it was also like expensive to maintain and I had to pay for gas and insurance. Running a car is expensive. And, and the interesting thing is that as much as I put my stock into this truck making me like free, it actually didn't really make me free. It was a blessing. It gave me more choices, it gave me more options, but it didn't make me free like I thought that it would. And tonight, what we're gonna talk about and what Paul's point is, is we're gonna talk about freedom. Like, what does it actually mean to be free? Like, if you assess your life today, to what degree are you experiencing freedom? In what ways maybe are you in bondage, or do you feel oppressed? Are you experiencing freedom? I think for a lot of us with young kids in the room, as amazing as our children are, as much as we love them, there are times when we feel like they're suffocating us and our hearts desire freedom. Some of you have more free time than you've ever had. Some of us are struggling with these ongoing kind of rhythms and patterns of, 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 of sin or we can't say no, or we choose not to say no, or maybe it's an addiction, and you desire to experience freedom, man. So I think today's passage is gonna be really helpful for all of us, and here's why. Because every human heart desires and craves freedom. Because you were created to be free. So hopefully by now you've found Galatians chapter five, before we read the scriptures, I'm gonna pray for us. Okay, will you pray for me while I pray for us? Um, Father, I thank you for time together this evening with my family. And um, I know that every single person in here um, matters so much to you. They're infinitely valuable in your sight. And my prayer, God, is to... Um, to the people that you so clearly love, that you've demonstrated your love so clearly too. God, would you fill us with an awareness of your, of your grace and your mercy and your love? Would you teach us tonight, Holy Spirit, about what it means to be free? Would you help me to not get in the way of anything that you want to accomplish, God? Would you help me to love and serve and honor my family in this room, these precious people? Be with us, God. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Galatians chapter five, starting in verse one, Paul writing to 
The Christians in Galatia says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, we feel that picture up here? I want to show you guys what a yoke is. Most of you guys have probably heard about what a yoke is, but do you see the, the, the wooden thing that's going across the back of these two animals? You've seen this, right? Is it clear? That's a yoke, okay? A yoke is a wooden frame that's placed on the back of animals, and what it does is it joins them together for a common purpose, Okay, you can see in this picture here that these two animals, they're joined together for the common purpose of pulling that plow, okay? Pulling that plow in tandem together. They're working the land. But the yoke there is what's joining them together, okay? I think some of us have heard, if you've spent any time um, around Christianity or around the church, you've heard about specifically when it comes to a man and a woman getting married that they need to be equally yoked, Okay, they need to be equally joined together in the sense that they need to be united in the same purpose. Okay, things get buck wild when two people are not united. When they're not equally yoked, things can get really ugly really quick. Okay, this idea of being yoked. Paul is saying that the law is a yoke of slavery. Picture it in your mind. You can see the yoke here. The law is a, is a yoke of slavery that re- relying on your external behavior, on your performance, to make God cool with you is slavery. Strong words. Let's keep reading. Verse two. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you, if you accept, accept circumcision, if you, if you rely on religious duties, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts, accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Verse seven, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. It's not from God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You guys familiar with leaven? Okay, because leaven is what, it's what causes dough to rise, right? So if you see like a loaf of bread, there's all the, if you cut it open, you see the little pockets of air. Okay, when you, when you mix dough, you have flour and water, right? And then you, you have the dough. If you put yeast or something like that, leaven, what it does is it causes the dough to rise. So just a little bit of leaven, just a little bit of yeast has a massive impact on the dough. Are you tracking with me? So what Paul's saying is even the tiny amount of yeast and in the same way, like even a tiny amount of false teaching can influence an entire church, an entire community, just a little bit of false teaching. In this case, that your external religious duties are what make you cool and acceptable to God. Okay? Listen, this is one of the primary responsibilities of a pastor. One of the primary duties and responsibilities of any pastor <clears throat> is to make sure that the church never moves on from the gospel, that we never try to add to the gospel. And the, and the hard part is, is that like, you see this happen all the time. Unfortunately, especially in the Western church, you see these beautiful communities, these growing, healthy churches, 
And slowly but surely, they start to kind of veer off away from the gospel. They start to move on from the gospel. They start to begin to prioritize performance over God's grace. The foundation of the Christian faith is the grace of God. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Do you just hear what he just said? Like people say the Bible is boring. Okay, Paul, the apostle, like arguably the greatest missionary ever, literally just wrote in the Holy Bible, he basically says, hey, those, those guys, those false teachers that are, that are making this big hubbub about, um, about circumcision, he goes, hey, uh, why, would you, why, why stop with the foreskin? Just cut the whole thing off, bro. Like that's in your Bible, friends, okay? I think Paul's a little upset. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Okay. Tonight we're gonna go through three things. Okay, we're gonna talk about three things. The first is this, the meaning of freedom. What does freedom really mean? Okay, second, the power of faith. And the third, the act of loving. Okay, so the meaning of freedom. I want you to take a moment. I want you to consider your life, your background, your current circumstances, everything that influences you into being the person that you are today. Think about it as much as you can. And I want you to consider how you would define freedom. If I said, hey, I'll give you a million bucks, come up here on the platform and give an accurate definition of freedom, what would you say? How many people like the Beatles? I, think, I don't think there's ever gonna be a better band than the Beatles. I just don't. They're so talented. Like, I think the season of history that they broke onto the scene, I just there's just a special, unique story about them as artists. They're, I think they're the best ever. I think John Lennon, uh, Paul McCartney, arguably the two, are probably the best songwriting duo maybe ever. They're just, they're really talented. I'm a fan of the Beatles. I think they're incredible. One of the most talented bands. Uh, I've actually, I, I heard this really funny story uh, about, there's this interviewer, and he's interviewing John and Paul. Okay, if you guys are familiar with the Beatles, the bass player and singer and the guitar player and the singer, the guys who sung most of the songs, John and Paul. So he's interviewing them and he goes, and they're talk, the interviewer talks to John and Paul and he's like, man, the Beatles are so talented. Like you guys are like this super band. Like isn't, isn't Ringo like the best drummer in the world? Ringo Starr was the drummer. Isn't Ringo like the best drummer in the world? And John and Paul kind of look at each other and they kind of smile and they're like, yeah, like Ringo's good, but he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <clears throat> they were so good. This band was like spectacular. They were so talented. And one of their songs that I really enjoy is a song called Free as a Bird. 
You ever heard this song? Free as a bird, it's a beautiful song. And you can picture like a bird flying all in the sky, like free, where it wants, when it wants, how it wants. You see, secular culture would define freedom as I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. There's nothing standing in my way. There's no, like, obstructions, okay? Here's the thing. I would have defined freedom that way most of my life. Dad, don't tell me what to do. Like, I know I live in your house, but I'll water the plants in an hour. I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want restrictions. I want to be free. But here's the thing. Defining freedom in that way, there's some huge problems with that. I'll give you a few just right now. Think about this. If there's a higher power, okay, if God exists, if there's a higher authority than you and I, then that would mean that, that we're subject to a greater, stronger will than our own. Are you tracking with me? Higher authority than me. So here's the thing. If freedom is I can do whatever I want, then freedom's impossible if there's a higher power. Because what happens when my wants and his wants collide? Who wins? The higher authority. So if freedom is I get to do whatever I want, then God can't exist, or not that God can't exist, but freedom can't exist if there's a God. Are you tracking with me? Okay, there's more. Think about this. Think about how conflicting your internal desires are. Like the things that you want, how they're in conflict with each other. So I'll give you an example. Like, I want to live a long life. I do. I want to enjoy a long life. I also want to eat donuts. So here's the thing. Choosing one of those things means I don't get something I want. Are you tracking with me? Getting what I want keeps me from getting what I want. Eating donuts keeps me from a long life. Or choosing not to eat the donuts so I can have a long life keeps me from eating the donuts. Therefore, I can never be free. <laughs> like, do you see how it breaks down really quick? So freedom cannot be the ability to do whatever I want. Uh, maybe some of you guys have heard this analogy when it comes to freedom, but think about a fish. Is a fish free when it's just like chilling on the couch? No, it's dying. Where, where is a fish free? In the water. The fish is only free when it's in the water. Why? Because it was built for the water. Are you following me? So true freedom is not doing whatever you want. True freedom is desiring and doing what I was built to do. It's like a fish. What happens when you put a fish into water? It swims free. It does what it was built to do. I think so often, far too many people, probably even people in this room, we believe the lie that freedom is being able to do whatever you want. Like the idiot 17-year-old Tom. But in reality, you're like the fish that's sitting on the couch. Yeah, you get to do what you want, but just like the fish, you're gasping for air. Because you're choosing something you weren't built for. Friends, that's not freedom. Don't believe the lie. In verse one, Paul says that Jesus died 
to set you free, <clears throat> to place you in the water where you belong, to experience freedom. Okay, he's saying that trying to earn God's love and favor is the opposite of being free. It's slavery. It's a big, big deal. So friends, freedom, true freedom is desiring and doing what you were built to do, okay? So let's talk about the second thing, the power of faith. Look back at verse six with me here. Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Okay, so trying to earn doesn't count for anything. And he says, but only faith working through love. Okay, where it says there, where it says counts for anything, he says, you know, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Where it says counts for anything, the Greek word there is the word ischio. Okay, I'm a terrible, I, I don't talk Greek well or speak Greek well, but it's ischio. And that word literally means to have power. Okay, so what he's saying is there's no power in doing things to earn God's approval. Zero power, it's empty. Okay, so, and he also says he uses circumcision, so that's the act of doing it, getting circumcised. He also says that uncircumcision, so not doing it. So Paul's making a very big point here. He's saying there's no power in doing things to earn God's approval. There's also no power in I don't do that to earn God's approval. So I don't cuss. I don't do whatever you want to fill the blank in with. I'm a, I'm a good person, I don't do that. Or I'm a good person, I do that. Paul's saying there's no power in that. Zero. It's empty. But he does say something that has power. He says there, there is power in something. What is it? Faith working through love. The NIV translation of the Bible translates it this way. It says faith expressing itself through love. Guys, this is super important. Okay? When your faith, when your trust is in God, when you believe the truth of the gospel, it's really powerful. It's very powerful, friends. Why? Because it's an act of love. Track with me, okay? 1 John uh, 4.19 says one of the most beautiful things in the world, we love because he first loved us. God initiates love. We, he, we love because he first loved us, Okay? It's this picture of God declaring, initiating and declaring his love for people, okay? God takes on flesh. He, he leaves the comforts of heaven. He's, he's king. He's, he's on the throne. He has angels worshiping for all of eternity. He lacks absolutely nothing. He, he, he's wanting for nothing. He leaves that to come to earth, to come to a place where nobody likes him, to take on flesh, human limitations, to experience, to, to live out every prophecy ever perfectly, to live perfectly, to never sin in your place so he can credit that to you. And then he gets nailed to a cross. He gets, he gets murdered to be punished for the ways that we reject God. It, he's the sub, he's the, our substitute. It's this beautiful picture of God, not just with words saying, hey, I love you, but with his whole life declaring it with action. I love you. It's beautiful. Nobody loves like Jesus. Nobody ever will. God declares his love through Jesus. Here's the thing. 
when we respond by believing in him, by trusting that what he says is true, when he says, I love you, I lay my life down for you, when we believe him, not just believe that he exists, but when we believe him, when we trust him, that's an act of responding in love because we're trusting him. It's an act of love. I need you to hear me say this, okay? When you, when, when you trust in him, when you put your faith in him, it's loving him in return. And guess what happens? How we relate to God changes. Where there was once separation, right, because of sin, holy God, sinner, they can't come together. Where there was once separation, now there's closeness. We go from being an enemy who opposes God, who chooses to do my own thing, who defines freedom and that I get to do whatever I want. I'll, I'll sit on the throne, thank you very much. Like we go from these enemies who reject him and rebel against him to a son or a daughter, privileged in whom God delights in. That's crazy. The relationship like circle, picture a circle, the relationship circle that God initiated in love through Jesus is completed when we trust him. Do you see this? It's this beautiful, it's a relationship. Guys, this is why we have church rhythms in place. This isn't like just a religious duty that hopefully makes you feel good. Granted, we, I wanna bless you. I, the team wants to bless you. We want the, the church community to be a blessing. We want the gatherings to be a blessing. We want gospel community to be a blessing. But the reason that we do church rhythms, the reason that they're in place is to prioritize with our time relating to God. Are you tracking with me? Are you following me with what I'm saying? Nod, please. That's why we have this gathering. That's why this time is set aside. This time is set aside to remember God's faithfulness. All the ways that he's been faithful to us as individuals, us as a community, to the people of God all throughout history, to remember his faithfulness and to reinforce the truth of his love for you that isn't dependent on your performance, but rather it's dependent on Jesus' performance in your place. To, to remember God's faithfulness, to reinforce his love. And what's the result? We come together and we express that love back to him. He initiates, we respond with expressing that love back to him by trusting that what he says is true. We praise him because he's worthy of it. We sing to him because he's worthy of it. We pray to him because he's worthy. We celebrate communion. We do all this to remember who he is, his character, his goodness, and what he's done. And we express our love to him. Listen to me. The main goal of a Sunday worship gathering, the main reason is to express love to God. He's worthy. We love because he first loved us. But you and I, we live in this like uber consumer culture, man, that is doing everything it can possible to convince you that the best orientation, the best worldview is to have you at the center of life. You are the sun in this solar system. <clears throat> this consumeristic thing where like, like our fulfillment is the main goal. Our fulfillment is like the, the, the sun of the universe, right? Or the sun of the solar system. And here's the crappy thing is that kind of mentality seeps into the church. 
the culture influences the church instead of the church influencing the culture. And then you have what a lot of people describe and call consumer church, where the church isn't defined as like a people, the family of God, who Jesus has bought with his blood. It starts to become an event or a building or an organization or a business. You have this consumer church and it, it, what it does is it flips the purposes of the, ga- of the gathering. It flips the rhythms of the church around. It, like in, in, in an opposite way. It, it makes the church gathering primarily about me. Like uh, I wasn't really feeling the preaching. I wasn't really being fed. Or like their worship's okay, but like I'm not really feeling it. As if the worship is for you. We worship him. We worship him. It's for him. He's the worthy one. That's what worship means, to ascribe worth to the glorious one. And yeah, don't get me wrong, the outcome of us worshiping God, we benefit from that for sure. It's what your heart was made for. You're made to worship him. You're gonna find more fulfillment and joy worshiping him, ascribing worth to him, praising him than anything else you could possibly do. So of course we benefit from that. But the primary reason is because he's worth it. It's his love that we get to enjoy. So we gather to reinforce our relationship to God and to express love to him because he's worthy and he's amazing. Think about like gospel community. Many of you in the room are, 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 are belong to gospel community. We engage in gospel community to experience his love through each other and to give and receive his love to each other and to our city. That's the purpose. Remember we talked about this, like that circle of God initiating relationship with his love, him declaring his love through Jesus. And then when we trust what he says is true, that that's an act of love, Think about that in an ongoing way in your life as an individual and our life as a church, as an establishing community. God initiates with love. We respond by trusting him. That's faith. We respond in faith, which is an act of love back to him, and the spirit expresses more of the reality of God's love, and we respond with more faith, and he expresses more of the reality of God's love, and we respond with more faith. It's this ongoing cycle. It's intimacy, It's friendship, the ongoing giving and receiving of love. Friends, it's your purpose in life. Your career has nothing on this. You were created for this, for intimacy with God, friendship with God, relationship with God. Your career is important, but not for the reasons that you think, potentially. Sorry, I'm not like yelling at you. I'm not angry with you. But I I am passionate about this because true joy is found here, friends. It's what you were built for. So, when things come up in life, when, when God forbid you lose your job unexpectedly, and your response to that is you're not freaking out, you're not anxious, you're not afraid, because you know he's trustworthy, and you know he loves you. When you respond in that way, you are, you are engaging in the act of expressing love to God. When you aren't married yet and you want to be, 
And you're not depressed, and you're not freaking out, and you're not hurting about it because you trust him because you know he's good and he loves you. That's expressing that love. That's, that's that circle getting completed again. And it grows intimacy with him. When you're experiencing suffering of any kind and you respond with faith in him, that's an act of love to God. In every season of life, you're either believing the gospel, trusting in God, or not. This is all of us. I'm so guilty of this. When I'm anxious about my kids, when I'm frustrated or bitter about the way somebody's behaving, when I want to control things in my life, when I want to control the circumstances of my life and they're not going the way that I want them to, it's because I've forgotten the reality that God loved me. And not past tense, he just proved it then once and for all that he loves me. He initiated that relationship in love. Jesus came. He lived in my place. He died for me. He didn't do that. He's not like, uh, Jesus isn't like in heaven, like twisting God the Father's arm to like us. No, God the Father sent Jesus the Son for me. He loves me. He's communicated that to me. So friends, when when we freak out or we're anxious or we're bitter, it means we've stopped believing the beautiful truth of the gospel. That God loves you and he proved it at the cross. It means we're trusting in something else. So hear me say this again, believing the gospel, gospel is power. It literally is power <clears throat> because it's an act of love to God and it, and it completes that circle and then God's coming right back at you with more love. The Spirit's coming right back at you with, with, with flooding your heart of the reality to help you experience God's love for you. What it does is it deepens your relationship with him. It's intimacy, man. Christianity is nothing if it's not relating to God. If it's not a relationship with him, it's not duty, it's not religion, it's not, it's not just doing these things. It really is a relationship with him. But he initiated it and we respond. Okay, you guys, you guys good with that? The third thing, final thing, the act of loving. Uh, verse 13 here. Verse 13 tells us more about what it means to truly love. Let me read this. For you are called to freedom, brothers. That could be brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, Paul basically says that love and service, they go hand in hand, okay? And you'll hear me talk about this all the time. You guys are probably tired of me talking about this, but like, like most things in the Christian life, love and service, like it's your motive that matters. It's your heart motive that really counts, okay? Like I've talked to people before, people that, there's, there's tons of non-Christians who are way more into social justice than Christians. They're way more into serving the poor. They're way more into taking care of the marginalized and like the, the least of these, and I've, I have a lot of, not a lot, I have, I have enough relationships with people who don't follow Jesus, that don't believe in him, but are actively loving and serving, loving and serving people, quote unquote. And one of the interesting things that I've experienced in talking with them is I want to know, like, what's compelling you to do this? Like, if you don't know the love of God or you don't want to, like, why are you, why are you seemingly laying your life down for people? And what I've found to be true most often is they'll say something to the effect of, say like, why do you do this? And it's something to the effect of, I serve others because it makes me feel really good. 
which is cool. Like, of course, if you're meeting some, if me and the need some of that, that's fine, right? But if that's your primary objective, if that's your primary motive, and let me just say this, like, I'm so guilty of this. I serve my wife sometimes, not out of pure motive. I serve my friends and family, not out of pure motive, but because I want something from them. I'm not serving them, I'm serving me. And it's dressed up in service. It might look cool to other people, but my heart's gross. And I flip and need the grace of God, thank goodness for the cross for this guy. <clears throat> but when, you, when your heart motive isn't others-centered, it's not true service. It's not true love. Are you following me? So what Paul does is he connects love and service, okay? And then in verse 14, the following verse, he quotes Leviticus 19, verse 18, okay? And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've all heard this. It's like the golden rule, right? Here's the thing. <clears throat> I want you to keep something in mind. The context of this passage, Paul's writing to who? Talk to me. He's he's, yeah, he's writing to the Christians in the region of Galatia. It's modern-day Turkey, real people. Okay, he's writing to these Christ followers, these disciples of Jesus. Okay? When he says, love your neighbor, I'm gonna get all geeky on you, okay? The Greek word there is pleseon. Pleseon, okay? It literally means those near you. So when he uses the word neighbor, he's literally talking about those near you. He's writing to the concepts of Christians, now listen to me, he's not necessarily excluding non-Christians, okay? But he's writing directly to Christians about Christians. He's focusing primarily on how Christians relate to each other. Like if you don't believe me, like let's read the original passage in Leviticus. This is the one that he's quoting. Okay, I think you have it, Colton. <clears throat> Leviticus 19, verse 18. This is what he's actually quoting. This is the original verse, Okay? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Like, I'm not saying that followers of Jesus shouldn't love their non-Christian neighbors. Like, we absolutely should. Okay, that's like, there's tons of commands in the scripture to love uh, people who don't know the love of God, that literally we're, we're the conduit of his love. Okay, we're, we're, we're to reflect his love to the world around us. So please, please, please do not hear me say that I'm, I'm encouraging anybody to not love non-Christians. Okay, we absolutely should. These are real people. Names and faces that are made in the image of God. Infinitely valuable. Okay, do not hear me say that we're not supposed to love them. What I'm simply saying is that what Paul is drawing the reader's attention to here is how the people of God engage with each other. What Paul is saying when he, when he quotes Leviticus is he goes, don't be like the false teachers. Don't be like them. Why? Because their message serves themselves. It's not faith expressing itself through love. When Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself, what he's saying is, love the church. 
Love and serve the church, not the organization, not the business, not the event, the people. The people, the family of God. Friends, when, when Restored LA, when they drive two hours each way on a Sunday night, we're tired right now. When they drive two hours on a Sunday night each way to come and watch our kids, they're not loving and serving an organization. They're loving and serving us. It's beautiful. I'm so proud of them. When Uptown or South Bay does the same thing, granted, it's not quite as far, but still, they're sacrificing. They're driving an hour, hour and a half each way to watch our kids for an hour and then take off. It's beautiful, man. That's God loving us through those people. They're, they're serving the people. They're serving the church. They're serving us, not an organization. <clears throat> we had a, a new baby in the church. Uh, the Morehouses had a baby. When they have a baby, we, we do a meal train for them. We bring them dinner. Like We love them. We serve them practically. When, we need, when people in the church need childcare or babysitting or whatever, like we don't charge each other. Like Your aunt or your grandma would never take your money Neither should we. We're the family of God. And I'm already seeing this happen. I'm so, like, it makes me so proud and thrilled to be like, oh man, this is already starting to happen in our church where we're loving and serving each other genuinely. Guys, Paul is touching on something very, very important here. And here's the thing How on earth can a person express Christianity apart from loving and serving the church? How can that happen? Listening to your favorite preacher's podcast is awesome. It's great. There's unbelievably gifted people that are serving the church that way. <clears throat> but it's not a substitute or a replacement for loving and serving the body of Christ. Okay, jamming out to Hillsong or Bethel in your car is awesome. I do it all the time. But it's not a replacement for loving and serving the family of God. Did you know the fish was built for water? Like, did you know that? Obviously, yes. We talked about it. You guys responded so quickly. You guys are usually pretty quiet when I talk about the fish. You're like, water! <laughs> did you know that you were built for love and service? To give and to receive. Okay? Both. To receive love and service and to give love and service. You were built for that. All right, I'll close with this. You guys can come on up. So true service, it's dependent on the motive of your heart. Okay, I've used this analogy all the time. Like, if I buy you lunch to impress you, I'm not buying you lunch, I'm buying me lunch. (laughs) Like, I'm serving myself, I'm not serving you. I'm using you for approval. So the heart motive behind everything that you do is what matters. True service is dependent on your heart motive, okay? And if your heart motive is centered on you, it's not true service because it's actually not loving because it's for you. So how, here's the thing that I really want us to like take away. If you've been tuning me out or I've been boring you tonight, take this away. Listen to me say this. How can then we, as people who are focused on ourselves, I am, 
I need grace and forgiveness for this because I'm constantly living a life that's centered on me, what I want, what I think. I'm violating what I'm built for, okay? How can we then, as people, how can we learn to love and actually love and serve people? How do we do that? The answer is found in Mark chapter 10. I'm gonna read this to you. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And friends, here's the gold. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of every Lord, like the greatest, highest authority ever, check this out, became your servant. The only way you're ever gonna like truly love and serve anyone is by first seeing that God himself served you. We love because he first loved us. Do you see this? Can you see it and can you feel it? Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'd be willing to bet that you're just like me and you have an ongoing pattern of yoking yourself to something. In each moment, you're yoked to something. In each moment, you are a slave to something. There's this quote by this Christian author. Her name is Becky Pippert. Great name. She says this, she says, whatever you seek is your Lord. If you seek power, you're controlled by power. If you seek acceptance, you're controlled by the people you want to please. Whatever you are seeking, my friend, is your true Lord. You're yoking yourself to something. You're a slave to something but I want to comfort you with the beautiful words of Jesus. Jesus says that his yoke is light. I'm sorry, he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Why? Paul says that there's a yoke of slavery. Jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Throw that picture back up there of the yoke, dude. Why is Jesus's yoke easy and his burden is light because he alone did the work and you get to stand beside him and rest rest in his finished work yoke yourself to Jesus friends we were created to be free not a slave, not in bondage. We were created to be free. The fish, the fish was built for the water, right? 
because it's the only place that he can be free. You and I were built to be in loving relationship with God and God's people. That's the only place that we can ever experience true freedom in that beautiful circle of relationship that God initiated and that we have the ultimate amazing privilege to respond to. That is freedom. And it's available to you at all times. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for purchasing our freedom. Thank you that any time we choose to yoke ourselves to something and become a slave to something, that we have the opportunity to run to you and yoke ourselves to you, to be free. Thank you that you created us to be in relationship with you and that even when we reject that, you're still gracious and patient and loving and kind. You're so different than us. So I pray for every heart, mine included, who is craving peace because we are tired people. I pray that the love of God, Spirit, that you would flood our hearts with the reality of your love for us. That we would be men and women who trust in and believe the good news of the gospel. And that we would be men and women who don't just understand the concept of you extending love to us through Jesus, but there would be men and women who complete the circle, who respond by trusting that what you're saying is true and actually receiving that love. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus for all of us. Thank you, God. You're so good and kind and gracious and generous to us. We love you. In your holy name we pray, amen.